Firstly, let me say that had I known how popular our two guests today were going to be uh, and how many people we were going to have watching live, uh, I would have postponed my special uh, lockdown uh, homemade haircut uh, for another week or two. Uh, so I'd like to just uh, open up with that. And for those of you listening on the podcast, yes, I've got rid of all my hair and I had a zero on the weekend. So that explains that. Uh, some might say that I've, I've had this, uh, this, this done to, uh, in simpatico with one of our guests, um, but, but no, that's not the case. Now, listen, uh, there is some breaking news from the Batuta Advocate that I just thought it was worthwhile to, uh, to share with you. Uh, Gladys says New South Wales residents can choose either five in a park or whatever is in the mystery box. Okay. Now, listen, last week, for those of you who were watching last week, our guest was Bernard Desmond, and we were talking about dealing with uncertainty. And uh, one of the things that Bernard said was that in times of great uncertainty, I feel I'd love to do his accent because it was a wonderful accent, but I can't do that. In times of great uncertainty, we need to find a way of switching our mood from a state of anxiety to one of curiosity. Now, today, my guests are two very curious cats uh, indeed. Uh, and I'll introduce them right away. Uh, we have Tian Kerr and Simon Cathro. How are you going, gents? Hi, Nick. How are you? Very well indeed. Tian, welcome to you as well. Thank you, Nick. Thanks for having us. Now, what I'm going to yeah. do is I'm going to introduce you one at a time. Uh, we'll start off uh, with Tian. Uh, now, Tian uh, is an insolvency and uh, restructuring and litigation partner. Uh, he's been at that for uh, for many years with Lander and Rogers and before that with Swab Attorneys. Um, tell us just a little bit briefly, Tian, what's, what, what have you been up to this week? Well, I'm, um, I'm winding up things at my current firm because I'm starting a, a new firm of my own in, uh, in a little short period and uh, very excited about that. That's causing all sorts of anxiety. Seemed like a perfect time, a global pandemic of historic proportions and a lockdown. What an opportunity. Well, exactly. Well, that's that's it. As I said, Bernard uh, Bernard said that uh, you've got to uh, t you've got to switch your mindset from anxiety to curiosity. So I guess uh, you obviously had a burning curiosity, and and um, and so that's official now, or what's the? I remain at Lander and Rogers at the at the moment, so I have resigned and uh, just working out some transition issues, and uh, the new opportunity should start soon. Fantastic. Now, I know that you've got a collection of uh, Olympic torches there behind you. What, what's the story there? Is, it, is this, uh, I didn't know this about you, or did that come with the premises? <laughs> what's, the, what's the story? Uh, it's just a collection of the Olympic torches that are here, all the way from 1936 through to the Sydney wow. Olympics and, and onwards. Wow. It's, uh, it's a fantastic collection. Are they replicas, or are they the real thing? They're the real thing, and uh, the, the Sydney Australian one is signed by Kathy Freeman. Wow, that is awesome. That is very awesome. Yeah, I, I, yeah that, that's fantastic. I, I've got a very happy memory of the Olympic torch. Uh, yeah, I was I was holidaying with my wife and son. I only had one at, the, at that time <coughs> up on the Great Barrier Reef, and uh, there was a time when they took the Olympic torch under the Great Barrier Reef, and we were there at that time. It, it was it was very special. Kathy Freeman, that that is awesome. Um, now, of course, uh, Simon Cathro is uh, renowned for his athletic prowess, um, marathon runner and uh, and uh, tennis uh, tennis player extraordinaire. So, Simon, you're a little bit uh, you're a little bit ahead of um, of Tian. You've you've established yeah. you're up and running. What what's what's uh, what what's been keeping you busy this week? 
Oh, look, uh, mainly jobs. I mean, I, I, I still have all the existing jobs that I had and um, and that's been keeping us really busy on some of the existing stuff and we've had a couple of new matters as well, um, some advisory matters and enforcement matters. Um, but, yeah, like uh, I am a little bit ahead of team and um, we, you know, the firm was set up officially at the 1st of August and um, and we sort of hit the ground running um, in a COVID lockdown environment, which I thought initially um, when... When we sort of uh, decided to do, when I decided to do this, was uh, it would have been pretty challenging to set up a brand new firm during lockdown. But it's been remarkably easy once I sort of uh, did my crash course in in technology, and um, so it's been uh, it's been great in that sense. And the, and the support, um, particularly from the insolvency industry, has been fantastic. I mean, the number of um, colleagues and competitors that uh, have reached out to me um, since they heard the announcement um, has been fantastic and um, it's really good to see how close as a, of an industry we are and how well we get on with each other because you know that, that that kind of support when you do set up a firm is you're always a bit worried about things and how people are going to respond but um, once I did the, the the LinkedIn and the Facebook and the website and, and the email announcement you know, the, the amount of, I think I spent three or four days responding to about 600 types of or different forms of communication and it was just really fantastic to hear, um, you know, the type of, type of people that, you know, competitors, whatever, just reach out and say, oh, this is really good news to hear and good luck with it all. Let me know how we can help and stuff like that. So it's been a really, you know, um, pleasant process in the last two or three weeks. And what comes first, the question about how you're keeping, how your health is and how your family are or how soon they can get some conflict work off you? <laughs> um, I think most of the question they ask, Nick, is just like is probably, you know, some of the questions you're asking today, you know, what made you want to do this? And and, and, and really uh, it's, it's, it's a fairly simple question for me. I mean, I've... Um, I, uh, you know, I've been in the industry for 25 years now. I've, I've spent a good portion of that period in the big four accounting firms and then I've, I've spent almost close to a similar period of time in boutique firms and, and each of them offer up a, a lot of skills and developments that I've, I've taken on and, and part of me just says you only live once and, you, and for me it was just I want to do something myself. I want to set up something that um, it will have a, a, a very strong reputation and something I can leave behind uh, for the industry. So um, that's been the main question that has been asked of my competitors. And, and the second thing that they say is, what can we do to help you? Mm -hmm. um, and that's that was the bit that was really, you know, really nice to hear um, because, you know, we're all competitors. We all get out there and we all compete. We all compete very fairly. But to hear people say, how can we help? Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really pleasant thing to hear. You know, it's funny you should say that. I, I remember when I f first started Hermes, and uh, it was a very lonely experience. You know, um, uh, at the outset. I mean, I've got I've got business partners and, and all the rest of it, but nonetheless. Um, uh, and uh, Craig Mitchie actually reached out to me. Craig Mitchie from uh, yeah. he's now with Scottish Pacific, but he had his own firm at the time. And uh, you know, I'm not. You know, I mean, I've known Craig for many years. He's a great bloke and all the rest of it. But we're not. We're not. You know, we're not besties. I, I only see him rarely, and we're overdue for a steak and a beer. Uh, probably your shout if you happen to be watching, Craig. But, but um, it was just, uh, it was, it was actually quite touching. You know, he didn't have to do it, um, and uh, you know, but but yeah. he did. Uh, I guess you know, we just sort of felt, you know, we were fellow travellers on a journey, and um, it, it, you know, it, it's it is it is quite warming when you when you get that sort of support. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Teen? What? What? Uh, I guess uh, it's too new for you. I guess. I guess a lot of people be finding out for the first time uh, now. 
That's exactly right. This is the first time I've publicly announced it. I've obviously had some some good conversations with my friends and contacts and colleagues in the industry who I've leaned on for advice and guidance. But this is the first time uh, that I've publicly announced my uh, intentions. So thank you for the opportunity for that. I did make the decision. I can remember it quite vividly. I had my Jerry Maguire moment in late February 2020. And I, I pretty much made my decision as a result of a conversation that I had right then and there. I didn't I didn't actually follow through on the Jerry Maguire moment, I'm glad to say, but because uh, COVID happened about two weeks later in mid-March 2020. And uh, so I've basically been in planning and thinking and just considering how to do it, whether it was something I wanted to do. And uh, it's just been something I, I, I've always wanted to do my entire career. And I just really never had the nerve or the uh, or the or the courage to do it. And I finally have just gathered that up and seized it. And I'm very pleased to say I've got the support of a great team behind me that I've had for some time working with me, and they'll be joining me. So I'm very pleased about that. Well, uh, let, let me just say uh, I'm sure that on your way out you you're going to grab your goldfish, is it? Um, <laughs> and uh, if you could grab uh, Renee Zellweger on the way out, that'd be awesome. But don't forget, of course, to grab your lunch money mug on the way out. And uh, to anyone who's watching live, uh, you ask a good question and uh, we will send you a lunch money mug as soon as we've got someone in the office to send them out. We've got a good supply of them and they come with a very special Aegean blue on the inside. Um, now, I'm just curious to know, I guess we'll start with you, Simon. I've got a couple of things that have popped into my head that, that are sort of a bit off schedule. Um, the first thing is, you know, Simon, you've worked at some large Firms. Is it? Am I right to say Deloitte and EY? Yeah, and PwC. So and I, PwC. I, worked, I worked as an employee at uh, PwC up until the level of director, and then uh, Deloitte and, and EY. So I was a partner at, at those firms. Yeah. And how does how does the alumni work with those firms? Oh, look, very good. I mean, I I uh, I think the relationships you 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 build in those firms are. Uh, uh, good on many fronts. I, I've had work come out of that network. Um, and secondly, I've been able to introduce that network into situations of my referrers where, where they need a specialty that only the big four can offer. So, um, yeah, they do it all differently. Like, um, yeah, the ones in, uh, you know, some of the some of the firms will have very active uh, alumni events. Um, I don't tend to sort of get involved in those kind of things. I tend to just keep in touch with them. I, I prefer the one-on-one -on -one meetings and conversations and stuff like that. They 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 still continue to include you on all their material, all their thought leadership that they send out. So I still get a fair bit, fair fair amount of that. Um, but they do that very well. Um, they, they've I obviously I, got. The, yeah, I think I think one certainly one piece of advice I'm sure all of you would agree with is that. You know, for younger people, and I'm hoping that we, we probably do have some younger people that are watching this because they're curious to know, uh, you know, how they can how they can uh, get the brass plate with their name on it, like like you guys have done. Um, but one one of the things is that you know, remember that if you're working at one of those large firms, and for me it was, you know, small firms, large firms. I was at AGC at one stage, and I mentioned Craig Mitchell before. I met Craig at AGC. Um, but you know, be good to the people if you're in your twenties, you know, because later in life, you know, when you hit your thirties yep. and forties. 
you know, those are the people I've got some really valuable uh, relationships with people I've worked alongside or worked for or worked, you know, work for me. And uh, they, you know, they're, they're gold. And sometimes you think oh, you couldn't do it without them. I am curious to know, Simon, did, as as you were leaving any of those firms, they didn't hold you down and burn the club tattoos off or any, any of that sort of stuff? No, I do have a tattoo, but no, they didn't burn that one off. But um, uh, no, they were they were fine. It, it, they they negotiate tough, which is how they should do. They they're there to protect their brand. Uh, at the end of the day, um, they uh, they have to to look after what's best in the best interest of the, of the firm. Um, but for us, it was uh, you know. It, but ultimately, they do it in a very professional way. So um, you know you. You know, those kind of conversations from time to time can be very difficult. But um, when you look back at, at it in hindsight, you, you understand where they're coming from. But um, no problems at all. And again, very different in their style. Very different. And, and what about you, Tian? I, I remember years ago, uh, one of my mentors, and I was thinking, I'm obsessed with the hero's journey at the moment. And, um, you know, when you announce that you're starting up your own firm, that's that's what they call them, the hero's journey, the point of no return. Um but uh, you do need uh, mentors and companions on the journey. If you think of, uh, you know, Shrek, he had Donkey, I suppose. That's probably a bad example. But, um, but uh, I mean, when, when you leave the firm, sometimes you think they're going to react badly, but, but sometimes they realise that, uh, you know, there's, there's conflict work and all sorts of things that could cross the desks. Is that, is that your experience? Or? Yes, it has been my experience. It was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Um, I think at the end of the day, there's an acceptance that as a professional with a long-standing number of clients and relationships, there's an acceptance that in this day and age, many of those client relationships are resting with you as a professional, not necessarily with the larger firms that you might be working at. And that being said, uh, in my experience, they, they accepted that. As Simon indicated, there's obviously a desire to protect the interests of the firm, and that's fair enough, you understand that. But at the end of the day, it's up to the client. Client makes the decision. If the client wants to go with you, that's really what's going to dictate what happens. And uh, let me ask you both: Why? Why now, Simon? Uh, look, I, mean, I have, don't. Have, think... you, have you looked at the tea leaves and said there's an avalanche of work coming, or is it like now or never? Or yeah, I, I think so. Like I think a part of it's that as well. I think the other thing too, it's it, you sort of get to a point in your career where where you make certain decisions as to what's what what you want to do. I mean, like I said earlier, you only live once, um, and for me, it's um, you know I've always been uh, wanting to set up something. I always want to set up a firm that is attractive for others to join um, and gives back to the industry. Um, so for me, it was like. I've done. A, I've built up a lot of experience through all the different firms I've worked for. All of them have some very good aspects around what, what how they did things. All of them had elements that they could have done better at. But like for me, it's like you take those learnings, and now I want to. I want to apply it. I think the fear factor of setting up your own firm is 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 not so great as what it may have been ten years ago, when maybe I thought about it then. Um, it's just that um, now I feel like I'm ready and I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm young enough and ready enough. I think in terms of the timing of insolvency, it's really hard to know. It's, it's oh, yeah. you know, we, we, we are constantly having our industry impacted adversely from unexpected things in the last two years. And um, even with the latest set of you know, 
support packages in in the last three or four weeks we've started to see a drop off again of, of the insolvency appointments and, and and yet you walk down your local shopping area and half the shops are empty and, you, and that, that just doesn't correlate so i do think that we're in a different uh, cycle this year, uh, calendar year than what we ha had at the same time last year in the sense that there was there's a lot more distress and concern out there which will drive these people into having to talk to people like myself and other restructuring practitioners so yeah. I, I hope and i do think that i've I, I, you know this might be the right time to, to set up your own firm and, and and things will start to pay off um but it, we're at the mercy of uh government policy and, and stuff that we you know can easily change uh, you know overnight um so yeah um are you are you a fan of the uh, the batman trilogy Oh yeah, I've watched a bit. My my son likes, yeah. likes watching those movies fifty times yeah, a no, year. I was yeah. going I was going to show a clip, but it was a bit difficult to, to clip it. But there's a bit in the third movie where he has to escape, and he has to jump across the the, the, the crevice, and he he keeps taking a rope. And uh, you know the mentor there says, you know you, you you know you need fear to 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 be successful, you know. And so never mind the rope, you know. Jump, jump without the rope, and, uh, and 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 you've got a better chance of succeeding. So, yeah. what about you? What about you, Tian? What? Why? Why? And Trevor Pogroski is, uh, is wishing you both well. Thank yeah. you very much, Trevor. For Thanks, Trevor. For your, uh, your your kind Thanks, comments, Trevor. Uh, your boys. Um, uh, what? What about yourself, uh, Tian? What with respect to timing? Mm. Well, for me, the relationship in a that you have in a in a firm, particularly a larger one, it's it's a relationship that works on the basis of mutual interest. Each party has to have their own interests at heart, uh, the firm and the individual, I suppose. And when those interests align, everything works smoothly. When those interests diverge somewhat, that's when things can get a little bit rocky. And it's it's at that point when your interests no longer connect that you have to make the decision. Uh, that you have to make the decision and you have to be brave and courageous about it. And for me, I guess I just started to feel a bit more like the chess piece than the player. Right. And for that reason, I decided regardless of the timing and the opportunities that it presented, now is the time. Yeah, I guess there is. I, I know myself in my own journey. I mean, uh, I'm a little bit older than you, than you guys. Um, so I'm sort of... <laughs> 10 years on from uh, from where you guys are at least. So I think a little bit more further on the, the, in, with respect to yourself, Tian. But, uh, yeah, I know exactly. That that, that really is strikes a chord, uh, being the chess piece, I guess. Uh, I mean, I love my, my, my former uh, employer, um, Alan Kay, if he's watching, he's a great guy. Uh, but there comes a time when, uh, yeah, you want to be in control of your own destiny and, uh, yeah. and and all the rest of it. And I suppose, you know, who knows what's around the corner in, in, in this market. Um what uh, it, now? Now it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that, that sort of allowed me to make the break, you know, eleven years ago, was the change in technology. You know, a lot of platforms were in the cloud. I didn't need to buy my own, you know, IT system or hardware or software. Um, you know, but for you guys, you are, you know, uh, starting to take on uh, resources and the commitments of staff. I mean, what what sort of um, what sort of resources do you think you need in making it in, in making a break and uh, I guess what's helped you the most in transitioning for, for from working for someone else to working for yourself? From my standpoint, I'm just at the stage of setting all this up so I can speak to it a little bit um, now as I go through it. It's never been a greater time to express independence for yourself, gather your team together, because you really just need your clients, your team, a laptop, a website, 
and a little bit of technology and away you go. It used to be that uh, when I started as a lawyer, I was working on the top floor of a very expensive building in Canada and an expansive lobby. And uh, that, that was what impressed clients. That's no longer the case anymore. Uh, I won't tell you how long ago that was, I date myself, but uh, what you need now is a professional reputation. You need to do good work. You need to get your clients to like you. And you have to have a good team behind you to support you. And the technology that we have these days, and it's only been more and more evident as a result of the lockdown with laptops and remote working, you just you just use the technology to connect with clients as best you can. Even the courts, the courts are very conservative, but have had to uh, have had to innovate ten years worth in in less than two months, and did so, and have I don't think there's any going back. Look, a startup's a startup, and uh, you certainly can't do it with a little bit of money in the bank. Listen, I, I wanted to, we are a podcast as well, uh, so some people are only listening. So I just wanted to acknowledge some of the comments. We had uh, uh, one had um, Mullins saying, wow, uh, Steve Nadinov saying great news to both team and uh, Simon, uh, Andrew Ed Edwards, uh, well done, TN Kerr, Tre Trevor Pogrovsky, well done, guys, enjoy the journey and welcome to the freedom and opportunities that you can enjoy. That's interesting you put it that way, Trevor. I sometimes call it being strapped to the rocket ship because when you're strapped to the rocket ship, yeah, there's no getting off, boys. Uh, you're on. <laughs> uh, Glenn Cusson uh, from Melbourne. Um, thank you for commenting, Glenn. Congrats to both of you. I started Cusson Advisory 2018 and wish it done years early. You know, it's funny you should say that, Glenn. I, I felt a little bit the same. I think, yeah, look, when you do it, you do it. I, I regretted not doing it before, but uh, if I'd done it before, I probably would have cleaned up in the GFC. Stuart Price, well done, Tian. Uh, look forward to the next chapter. By the way, so many Olympic torches. In the, oh, why so many? Uh, well, Stuart must have tuned in a little bit late. Uh, you'll have to message him privately. Raju, oh, well. thank you very much, Raju. All excited for you, Simon and Tian. Simon, nice shoe collection. Oh, okay. Thank you for that. And Thomas <laughs> Russell, um, congratulations to both Simon Cathro and Tian Kerr. Well done to you both. And so, uh, Thomas, as you know, you have inspired me with uh, with my hairdo today. So I just wanted to get all those out of the way for the listeners at home. Now, Simon. Um, Tian was uh, was was sort of saying, talking about the sort of resources and yeah. uh, you know what he needed to to bring to the table to, to get kicked off. He was talking about relationships and reputation. What, what would you add to that? Oh, look, I, I, I don't even think I could explain it any better than the way Tian uh, expressed it because I think he's hit the mark uh, exactly for me. Um, the you know I have taken my team and they've all come along and, and that was a, a really uh, comforting thing to see. Setting up the firm, uh, you know, insolvency firms are focused on the systems, uh, for the software program, the the uh, the banking, and um, and or, and then the, you know probably the professional indemnity and location. Now the location is I've got premises, but I haven't moved in because there's just no point at this stage. But um, I've, it's been remarkably a lot easier than I, I expected. Um, in fact, T and I were exchanging emails the other day about websites, and uh, he said, oh, "Who's your website designer?" I said, "It's my manager. My manager built the website himself. He's an insolvency guy, Damien, and he's uh, he went and built that thing. So yeah, you know, there's a lot of you know a lot of the technology this day these days have, have become so much more user friendly that you know setting these things up is not as daunting as what it may otherwise have been in the past. Um, and um, you know, there's no issue around you know, you know, the internet and, and, and data storage and all that stuff now is, is just a given. It's there's no issue of ever you know, running out of space or anything like that. 
um, everything is almost on tech, you know, in tech, you know, in, in a in a technology based platform, um, and um, really it's um, it's it's been a lot better than I expected. So it's it's been really good. And again, with the um, with the contacts and um, and the relationships, it, it is a very relationship based. Uh, industry we, we operate in, whether you're a lawyer or an accountant or an insolvency practitioner, you know, the, the clients will come to you because of the way you interact and the way you, you manage the relationship with them. And as long as you keep doing the right thing and keep servicing them in the, in the right way, I, I think the, the whole issue of setting up technology capacity, risk frameworks, all that stuff is much, much easier than what it used to be. Darren Mitchell, uh, well done, Simon and TN. I started MSD Law in April 21 after being retrenched and the changes have been uplifting and eye-opening. Well well done, Darren. I'm glad that uh, you, uh, yeah, you were able to uh, use uh, what some would see as, a, as a, a, a negative and turn into a positive. Sometimes you look back and thank people for, uh, for helping you, uh, maybe pushing you to make those decisions that you may not have otherwise made. So uh, well done. Um, now... I'm just wondering, I guess, um, uh, in terms of where we are now with lockdowns and, uh, you know, where we are now with, you know, the commercial real estate, uh, you know, there's a, there's a question uh, whether or not we're ever going to have uh, large offices again. Uh, you know, there's been obviously a bit of a drought when it comes to restructuring, uh, you know, with all the money printing and, and all the things that we talk about all the time on this show, the moratoriums and what have you, you know, there has been a bit of a drought in, in restructuring. Um, I mean, what do you think the industry is going to look like moving forward? Are we going to see a fragmentation, you know, boutique firms? Uh, how, how are the, the larger firms going to respond to times like this, uh, Tian? Well, it's just, I just was thinking about this in preparation for today's discussion, and it's its a bit like a jack-in-the-box. It's just so much pressure's built up. It's got, it's got to give at some point, and you're going to get startled when it does. I, I just, I don't think we can continue on much longer than this, realistically. I, I walk down the street, and the shops are shut, and these are businesses, the cash businesses and cafes and, and just day-to-day -day shops and they're shut and they've been shut for months and it just can't continue and without an impact on people. And mm. I think the second lockdown in Sydney has really affected people a lot more than the first. People I talk to have a much bigger mental impact, mental health impact. It's been a lot harder on them. And undoubtedly financial considerations are a major, major factor in that. And in our industry, we sit looking at the opportunities that restructuring and insolvency uh, provides, but there's a human cost to these things as well. Look, uh, there is a human cost. I mean, I'm just going to get on my hobby horse here for a little more, a little a minute, just before I come to you, Simon, and uh, and ask you to reflect on on that as well. Um, you know, there is this thing called creative destruction, and we've, I've got a definition of it. Uh, and this is from uh, Schumpeter, who is an Austrian school economist. Uh, creative destruction refers to the incessant product and process innovation mechanism by which new products, uh, new production units replace outdated ones. It was, yeah, it was come on by Joseph Schumpeter. Um, now, the, the thing is that, you know, we, we have disrupted, with all this money printing and govern, government intervention, we have disrupted uh, this, this thing of, of creative destruction. Now, of course, you know, we don't want we don't want good businesses who shouldn't fail to to be victims of this this process and absolutely for for maximizing you know the benefits of the economy businesses that would otherwise succeed you know shouldn't be allowed to fail on the other hand there are businesses that would normally 
you know, there is this creative destruction process where they would be recycled, uh, for, to put it uh, kindly. Now, my other hubby horse slide here is crowding out. Um, and we've got a definition. Crowding out refers to the process. Increasing government spending leads to a fall in private sector spending. Now, my my uh, issue here is that with all the with all the government spending and money printing and uh, and government support, again, um, you know, and I'm speaking my own book here. You know, funds such as my, myself, we find ourselves, uh, you know, in competition with the government. Um, and I'm sure that uh, to some extent, both of you guys could be seen to be in competition with the government as well, because instead of doing your work to help businesses restructure, uh, these businesses are sort of being uh, propped up. So I just needed to get that off my chest. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, with that, with that, with that in mind, uh, Simon, um, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts with respect to how the industry is going to look on the other side of this, you know, boutiques, uh, yeah. Look, Actually, I hold think your thought that... because I just want to get to a couple of comments. Uh, Daniel Cooksley, totally agree, Tian. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, Daniel's quite the card sharp. If any of you guys have ever played Texas Hold'em against him, um, uh, Dr. Mark Pizzicola says, uh, please go to the themailhug.com.au for men's mental health information and resources. Critical time to be looking after colleagues and staff. Many thanks, Mark. And we might actually put that in the show notes as well. We've got a comment here uh, from Ashnil Singh. Congratulations. Well done, TN. Sorry, Simon. Thanks, Ashnil. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks, uh, Nick. Uh, look, uh, there's probably two comments that uh, Tian made and, and yourself made, and, and that the conversations, uh, referring to Tian's comment, the conversations that I'm having now do, does tend to see that the element of distress and um, uh, concern amongst the, the business owners has, is, is much different to what it was last year. So we're seeing a, bit, a, a lot more desperation there. Um, the second point, too, is uh, uh, you know, we have, have been seeing, certainly in the last 12 months, a a shift towards businesses getting used to uh, getting handouts. And, and, and um, I've had a number of conversations with my um, with my uh, referrers where they basically say, um, you know, I have to educate my clients again because they are starting to complain about why JobKeeper was coming to an end or why when, when JobSaver, they have got so used to these government handouts, they've lost the ability to actually want to generate revenue. They're just becoming almost like a socialist business in, in a way. And so that's concerning in the sense that, well, that you know, that should should be a temporary shift, but we might have another temporary adjustment that happens to to re-educate and get these people back into the mindset that, you know, we are in a in a in a uh, capitalist economy, and we are in, a, in a, an economy where you 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 know you you, you got to look after yourself. So I think at the moment that's the worrying part about the whole situation we have with COVID is that the actual business owners, there's a good portion of them out there that has beca have become quite complacent and used to being given handouts. And, um, you know, that's going to come back to, to, to bear on them in, in the future. Um, it's certainly, uh, you know, it's concerning to see, uh, you, know, the, the, you know, there's all these government loans and all these things, and it makes sense to some extent, right? But, you know, nothing's perfect. Um, it's all been a bit of a trial and error for the government. Um, and really, they have to just, um, you know, businesses owners need to get their mind back into accepting that they're going to have to look after their own their own obligations. Um, well, well, look, yeah. I, I think I think you know, I, I just hope that we don't lose uh, the skills of resilience. And and I've had uh, a number of people on, you know, even though we're sort of a, 
you know, in the corporate restructuring, special situations and uh, and all that, you know, workouts, et cetera, and capital raising. But um, I have had people on, you know, that, that are uh, to, to talk about resilience and, you know, I, I guess uh, self-sufficiency and all those sorts of things. But but what do you think, Simon, you've worked at some of the large firms, you know, you, you mentioned before. Um, I mean, what do you think, what does the future look like for these large maybe for the for their corporate restructuring arms you know the, the, there's no receivership work at the moment uh you know the whole business model has changed what's what's your view of you know what does the landscape look like if if there isn't an avalanche of work in the next six months and i know you know i know you, you're you're a modest guy simon but i know around the traps that you're getting your fair share you're probably getting more than your fair share actually um but what do you what do you, you know what, what what do you think uh it looks like for these big firms you know that even before this, you know, lockdown 2.0 came along, the big firms weren't still occupying their offices. They were still having, you know, a day, you know, red red team, blue team sort of arrangements. So what does it look like? Um, look, I, I think there's the whole of firm change and, and, and I suppose that that's not just uh, connected to the restructuring division, but that, that, that's, that, that, that those changes are more linked to the COVID impact and what it means for business going forward. I think like everything with big four accounting firms, they're very good at adjusting and, and creating service offerings that, that matter to, to their business clients uh, at that point in time. Um, you know, you talk about... Um, you know, big four firms, and I've experienced it myself uh, from time to time. There, where where the, the number of actual um, uh, work is is has dropped off, right? And so, so there's a lots of conversations around: should we start some new service offering? Should we start to offer something a very a, a different message, and all these kind of things? But fundamentally, the skill set stays the same. The delivery of the product might change slight, slightly. Um, but it's it's just a reflection of what the big four firms do, and in, in, in the sense that when they don't see the revenue being generated to the expectations that they have, they look to see how they can create revenue in different spaces. I think there'll be a fundamental <coughs> demand, and still an underlying fundamental demand for insolvency services in the big four. I don't think that will change. I think all we're seeing at the moment is is a low amount of work in the industry, and um, like like the boutique operators are. Big Four are finding it difficult to find new opportunities. I don't think that'll change. It's just a matter of they're adjusting under the current economic conditions to do different things. And from time to time, I would go off and do work on government work, government project. The Big Four gets a very large proportion of government work, and naturally, within government departments, there are there are projects that 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 require restructuring skills. Um, so I don't really think it will change. I just think that they'll adapt to any legislative change, just like the boutique does. Um, it's just that they will they will transition into the services depending on the cycle of economic activity within the restructuring act, uh, industry. Okay. Uh, anything to add to that, Tian? Yeah, I do. I do want to add something. I I see a real missed opportunity at the present time because in the middle of every difficulty lies an opportunity. And the present circumstances are no different. There are tremendous difficulties being faced by businesses, small, medium enterprises, right up to large organizations. And those difficulties present an opportunity for restructuring, which is what our industry does best. Our industry is not insolvency and restructuring, in my view. It's restructuring and insolvency. 
Insolvency should be the last recourse through to liquidation is what I'm talking about. We should be looking at administration and the opportunities it provides for restructuring opportunities, DACAs and the like. And that is going to be needed now more than ever. Businesses now have an opportunity to come forward right now, rearrange their affairs with a professional insolvency practitioner, the advice of uh, a good lawyer, and it's simply going to be better off for them, for their employees, the stakeholders in the business, and the creditors. And I think the longer the longer we stall and ignore the problem, duck our head in the sand, and don't confront this issue, we're just we're just delaying the inevitable. Well, uh, sort of that point. Daniel Cooksley asks the question: Does the panel agree that until the ATO starts to enforce on debts, directors generally will not deal with the issues of of solvency? I mean. I guess, you know, we, we know uh, the uh, people come to us not because necessarily they're, they're looking into the future and wanting to restructure. Usually it's because someone's uh, shoving a stick in their face and that someone is usually the ATO or their bank. Now, the banks are sitting on their hands. Do, do, do you think that is anything else going to trigger it or does it have to be the ATO? Simon? Yeah, look, I, I think what this whole COVID experience has proven is that the ATO have been a significant driver of insolvency work in the past. Um, you know, one thing we know that is consistent throughout the whole process is the ATO have not been very aggressive, if if, if at all, in terms of recovering their debts since um, since the bushfires in 2019. So what we have seen is a complete drop in, in, in insolvency formula work because of that. So there's no doubt that uh, and whatever that percentage is, is 20, 30, 40% of all insolvency work is driven by ATO behaviour. There's no doubt that the ATO have a significant impact on the level of, of formal appointments in insolvency. Can I ask you, I've had, uh, I've had a couple of newsletters from uh, insolvency people this week uh, talking about uh, the ATO. The, the ATO got this power a couple of years ago to list, basically to list you as a payment defaulter effectively. You know, so, you know, when you're trying to raise money, uh, it's a payment default, just like you didn't pay your phone bill or you, you've defaulted on your car payment. You've defaulted on your ATO. Now, apparently, they're going to start doing that. Have you heard? Have you heard that, Simon? Yeah. Look, I'm not sure. Look, I've heard that. I couldn't tell you without doubt that there's what impact it has had. Um, my experience really is, um, you know, it will be interesting to see. Uh, for, for lenders like yourself, Nick, and and, and more sophisticated uh, creditors, they tend to get access to the tax portal and and the payment system anyway. So for for a particular client that they may want to engage with, but um, maybe for the more uh, the the smaller uh, creditors and whatever, um, it will be interesting to see whether they check those credit checks, uh, if at all. Um, and I really question that people do anyway in in that sense. Uh, um, and whether it will actually drive different behaviour because these people are now being added um, into this credit agency reporting system to show that they are delinquent taxpayers. Um, well, I, I think that, look, for me, the credit markets are sort of splitting too. If, if, you, if you're absolutely clean credit history, uh, then you qualify for big four super low interest rates. Uh, and if, but, but if you've got a blip, um, you know they, they don't they don't like it they don't like it so um, so just quickly thank you Daniel Cooksley for asking that question and there will be uh, a lunch money mug coming your way as soon as as soon as we can get some people in the office to uh, to stick them in the post to you uh, listen we uh, now I would just remind our uh, our viewers uh, that are watching live 
that you can ask a question and we, we will send you this mug. So I always say that at this time of the show because we always get bombarded with questions after we've logged off. So get your questions in before we log off. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill Guthrie uh, says, having been there as an SME, and I know, I've known Bill for a long time, he's a, he's a champion. Thanks for watching, Bill. Thanks for your comment. Having been there as an SME, um, he's not going to move uh, into the restructure unless they are forced on the SME side. It's a scary and unpleasant, a really stressful time uh, in a business life. So that is, that's very true. Thanks, Bill, for your contribution. Um, now, I have- Can I, uh, can I speak yeah. to Bill's comment there? Yeah. Because I think it ties into what, I think it ties into to Daniel's question as well. Uh, the ATO are undoubtedly a major instigator of insolvencies. I mean, they're the relative anima of the industry. Nothing flushes out insolvency like the ATO. Okay. But Bill's point, <laughs> Bill's point is is well made as well. Other creditors creditors can force the issue, and we're just not seeing that happening at the moment. And uh, I don't think our industry does a good enough job advertising the restructuring component of what we do. I think there's very much a concern amongst businesses that it's liquidation, and that's the only option available to them. And I think there's an education piece to be done by by our industry on that. Okay. All right. Uh, now, time is beginning to get away from us. And I did, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they asked the, the guests this great question. I thought that is an awesome question. So I'm going to ask that of my guests. And I'll start with, uh, with Simon. Um, what lesson took you the longest to learn as an insolvency restructuring professional? Yeah, the- what lesson took you the longest to learn? No, it took me. Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. I, I would say truly accepting that you don't know everything i, I think i was um i, I wrote a reference for it for you for someone in the industry the other other month i think to to so she could put in her ticket to become a registered liquidator and she became registered this week and sent me a message and saying i got it i wrote back and i said now for the hard bit it, you don't know everything right and to accept that you don't know everything and get legal advice get legal advice and seek the counsel of others um you know that to me is something i i i would say initially thought um you know there was an expectation that i needed to know uh, now these days i'll gladly ring up a competitor or a colleague of mine and ring them and say look i'm not too sure about this what do you think um, i'm not afraid to ask for help so i think that's the the key to, to the, the key thing now which i do i do easily now is to just accept that just because you've become a registered liquidator or just because you've become a partner of an a, a insolvency firm or a law firm whatever it doesn't mean you know everything um and uh, there's been too many times where i've sought out advisors and too many times where i've witnessed liquidators try and do something they're actually not skilled in doing and um and, and 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 to make sure that you actually ask that question and ask for help um is, is very important well i mean getting back to the hero's journey every hero needs an off starter you know shrek had donkey batman has fox and uh, and uh, alfred uh you know in, in any of those uh, stories uh, seriously you know everyone you can't do it alone uh so that that is and it takes i think it takes a certain level of maturity to actually to actually reach that point as well particularly for uh you know, dare I use the, the the data term of alpha males such as such as ourselves? I suppose if I can, yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not the right thing to say. Tn, what uh, what about yourself? Let, uh, what 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 um, you know, as a as a restructuring and uh, litigation lawyer, what lesson took you the longest to learn? 
Uh, it's a long list, Nick, but I put it at the top of the list, uh, delegating not by telling someone how to do something, but telling them what you want to accomplish and letting them figure it out for themselves. Releasing that control and, uh, and empowering someone, you'd be amazed at the difference in enthusiasm and engagement you get from someone who's delegated uh, responsibility with a, with a, a delegation of direction rather than a task. And that has been, in my experience, the single best skill I have learned. I wish I had learned it much earlier in my career. And, uh, and uh, I've, I've developed a great relationship with team members over years, some of whom have worked with me as long as nine years in one instance. And I've, I've developed those relationships, relationships with them by delegate, learning to delegate uh, with more empowerment. And it's it's amazing. Releasing control actually gives you a, a much better result. Yeah, it's very interesting you say that. I mean, I I I one hundred percent agree. And I think that, you know, sometimes you need to leave the office and let people let people get the job done because people will grow. You know, they, they will grow if you've got and you've got to show them that faith as well. I think so. I one hundred percent agree there. All right, look, we are we're we're, we're out of time, so I'm going to uh, ask you both for closing comments, Simon. Uh, what thoughts do you want to leave us with? Oh, look, thanks, Nick, for, for having both Tina and I on this. Was, it was great. And, um, look, I think the main thing is that, um, you know, the next six months are going to be really interesting for the restructuring industry. I, I think we we will see a pick-up in work. It's just a matter of when. Um, and we will have uh, a role in the industry to do to sort out uh, the mess that's been created as, as a result of this pandemic. Um, and what that role is will evolve as we go along. So, yeah, that's my closing comment. Okay, and Tian? I'd like to say two things. Firstly, um, to anyone considering doing what I and my team are doing and what Simon has done and many others before us, excuses will always be there, but opportunity won't. Don't, don't allow yourself to be put off by an, op by, by an opportunity and make excuses not to seize it. Just, just seize it. Run with it. Plan it accordingly and chase it and do it all in an organized way, but, but don't let the opportunity go. The second thing I'd like to say is uh, thank you to all of my friends, colleagues, and, and uh, team members, especially to my team members. Uh, I'd like to thank them all for all the guidance, wisdom, uh, and, and uh, ear they've lent me over the course of the last year. I've really sort of been leaning towards this decision for about a year and a half, as I indicated. I held off making it longer than I should have, and um, I regret that to an extent, but uh, I've got the opportunity now. I'm seizing it, and I've got a great team behind me. So I'm really, really thankful to them, and they know who they are. Fantastic. All right. Well, that's a great note uh, to finish on, uh, Tian. So uh, uh, Tian Kerr and Simon Cathro-Therry, thank you very much for joining us. I would like to just say uh, my reminder to share, like, or subscribe to this podcast wherever you might if you're watching us on youtube or uh, uh go to youtube and subscribe or uh, if you want to listen to us uh, catch up on our back catalog go to your apple podcasts or your um or your google play or whatever it is it might be and uh, and uh, and don't forget to share share and like um that's that's all we have today thank you very much to those of you we had lots of comments today thank you to all of our our live viewers and thanks to everybody who uh, who's listening to us uh, at a later date on the podcast. Uh, looking forward to doing it all again next week. Cheers.